Maybe I could be like an announcer, like a columnist. I don't believe what I just saw! You know how I always make those interesting comments during the game? Personally, I think we got hosed on that call. Yeah, yeah, you make good comments. So what about that? You know, they tend to give those jobs to ex-ball players and people that are, you know, in broadcast. What about a talk show host? This is In the Booth. Talk show host, that's good. <laughs> I think I'd be good at that. I talk to people all the time. With Matt Park. Big Monday. The opener, we should say, to conference play is uh, Saturday, January 5th at Notre Dame. Then Clemson comes here, Virginia, uh, Georgia Tech comes here. And that's a Saturday night home game, Sunday travel at Duke Monday night game. So that'll be uh, not easy. Georgia Tech will not be an upper division team uh, necessarily on the front end of that uh, back to back. But uh, you'll have uh, you know medium, let's say, game at home, and then a very tough game on the road. Two games in three days. The Monday home game that Syracuse plays at the end of the season. Virginia comes in on Monday, March 4th. So that's one to circle. And then here's really the meat of the schedule. The Orange are home against Louisville on a Wednesday night, February 20th. My family said, this might take care of my gift giving this year. The last two dates, the March 4th is my mother's birthday. February 20th is my sister's birthday. So that maybe tickets are in the... The offing, those are a couple of big games. So February 20th, Louisville is in on a Wednesday night. Then you've got Saturday night, February 23rd, Duke in town. And right now ESPN is hedging a little bit, whether that's a 6 o'clock game, an 8 o'clock game, ESPN, ESPN2. You know that as that draws nearer, if that's a matchup of top 10 teams or even top 20 teams, that very much is a candidate for a big primetime deal and perhaps game day or something like that. Now, you have a Saturday night home game against Duke and then a road game on Tuesday night at North Carolina. That, for me, is the most difficult back-to-back game stretch on the uh, ACC schedule. But uh, it's a little bit different than what we know. Last year, the Orange were kind of in that middle to the pack, lower middle to the pack. Every game uh, was a dogfight. This coming year, they figure to be an upper third team in terms of talent, experience, ability. Uh, but what we know around the ACC is nobody is to be taken lightly. Pittsburgh last year, the lone example of uh, the lone exception, I should say, of a, of a team that uh, really was overmatched on a regular basis. But uh, the Orange will not figure to have too many of those games this year. And uh, the way it sorts out now is... Uh, for me, pretty reasonable. There's no, I don't look at this the schedule and think there's any real gauntlet of oh my goodness, there's four games and they'd be lucky to win two of them or anything like that. Do a quick uh, poly check on this. And I was uh, uh, just looking. There's a there's what it. you would call trap games going Georgia Tech into the Duke game on January 14th and coming yeah. out with the Pittsburgh on the 19th. I don't. I'm not a trap game guy. Yeah. But throwing that out there for the people like to throw money on games, but Georgia Tech going into Duke and then Pitt coming out. So those could be trap games, as the kids would call them. Yeah, I don't, I don't really believe in those. I, you know, I think. My take. Yeah, I am. <laughs> um, you know, 
I guess this is a foreshadowing of the show that week. If Syracuse loses to Georgia Tech on Saturday, January 12th, it's going to be because they didn't play well. It's not because they're thinking about the Duke road trip on Monday. I think that's what that's what people are insinuating with trap games. I think college sports, you're dealing with 20-year-old guys. They're, they're good some days and not the others, and, and I think that's inherent in it. Um, we'll do that show when we get closer, but uh, – Unfortunately, it looks like you can make every game here, Polly. There's no drives to Miami. or No, I was just thinking I might take a vacation week, the week of the wake in North Carolina games, and just do a little touring of North Carolina. What's still left of it after down the hurricane this week. Hope everybody uh, down that way is uh, safe and sound. All those football games being moved out or moved up. The Boston College-Wake Forest game, which is tonight actually, has been moved up to 530 Might actually stay down there and uh, go right from Clemson to the to the ACC tournament too after the end of the season. So, okay, some long trips for me. Thanks for the warning, Clemson to uh, to Charlotte. Okay, we will uh, cross that bridge when we come to it. But uh, yeah, no. Now maybe once we get to know the teams a little bit better and see who's there, uh, you know, the toughest four game stretch again here is at the end of the year. If you want to, you know, Clemson was a pretty good team last year, made the tournament. That's the last uh, regular season game, and it's on the road. You look at the stretch here at the end. Home to Louisville on Wednesday, the t- February 20th. Home to Duke on February 23rd. At North Carolina, February 26th. At Wake, not an intimidating road environment, but they're, you know, they've beaten Syracuse in recent years. They're uh, a team, you know, with the, getting the program more and more implemented. Uh, it's a Saturday noon tip-off. Those are never easy on the road at uh, at Wake and Winston. And then you come back Saturday to a Monday night home against Virginia, and Virginia's always good. So that's when you look at, well, every team in the conference is going to have a difficult three, four, five-game stretch because the teams in the league are so good. That's one that right now uh, looks to be a, a stretch where the Orange might run into uh, something in the neighborhood of you know, three ranked teams on a four-game stretch or something like that. If you have any reaction to the schedule, you're welcome to chime in at 315-437-7644. That's four ESPN 44. As we speak over at Manly Fieldhouse, the uh, 96 to 98 Big East Championship football teams are gathering. We hope to uh, speak with Rob Conrad at the uh, tail end of that. And I uh, hope the uh, Rob can give us a shout. So we'll try to... Uh, Chat about those guys near the end of the show. Touch base on a little bit of that. Lots of odds and ends. Doug Marone claims he's not watched the Super Bowl as an adult. What do we think of that? And uh, a few other things. The uh, do we care interesting items today. Congrats to Brianna Stewart for bringing home the MVP in the uh, WNBA finals last night. Back to uh, Seattle where they've won for the third time. You're listening to In the Booth. It's brought to you by Marriott Syracuse Downtown on ESPN Radio. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. Back in the booth. Good to have you along on the show today here until 3 o'clock today. Back tomorrow, we'll give away tickets to the Orange and Florida State, which is Saturday in the Dome at noon on tomorrow's show. Talking about the 96 to 98 uh, championship teams. They are back, so a number of uh, familiar faces will be in the stands. A lot of them are uh, speaking with the media as we speak at uh, Manly Fieldhouse, so we'll touch base on that. Want to uh, react quickly to a little bit of feedback based on something that happened yesterday on yesterday's show, and then fan reaction on Twitter was along the lines of, 
you know, I think the headline to our post-show podcast tweet was, you know, Matt suggests the fans should temper their enthusiasm. I'm not really saying that. What I'm saying is your enthusiasm should be born out of Syracuse playing well, trending upward in the third year of a coach, fourth-year quarterback, at home, noon game, first road trip for Florida State, etc. What I'm saying is let's not make too much of Florida State stumbling out of the gate, losing to Virginia Tech or being in a closer game than anticipated with Samford. Samford's better than you know. Florida State still has really good players. That's what I'm getting at. So if Syracuse wins this game, this is a legitimate win. Florida State's not ranked. They're still Florida State. They still have Florida State players. This will be a legitimately big win if you can get it. Then you've got every right to be thinking about being 4-0 and before going to a major challenge, of course, against Clemson. If Syracuse loses this game, what I want, I don't want people jumping off bridges thinking, oh, this was a huge missed opportunity and uh, a significant setback. We'll see how it goes, okay? And we can talk about that on Monday. That's just kind of where I'm at. I, I hope people are enthusiastic. I hope they come and show it in the stands and in this block party thing tomorrow night and in every way imaginable and make it a big deal. These are the opportunities. You've got Florida State or Clemson in your house uh, every year on a rotating basis. You need to make these feel like big games and feel like you've got a shot. And in terms of the X's and O's, this is as good a shot as uh, Syracuse is going to have to Florida State. I'm just trying to say, hey, let's not take it lightly here just because they've scuffled. I think this is still a pretty good Florida State team with good personnel and in many cases better personnel than uh, than Syracuse has. It's just it's, uh, the way the Orange season has gone so far. They've dominated uh, for all but a few minutes of two games. And things are headed in the right direction there. This is a legitimate test. And we'll, I think, know a lot more about the team and about the season and what to expect uh, by about 4 o'clock on uh, on Saturday afternoon than we know right now, so I'm not I'm not diminishing enthusiasm. Uh, go get them, and let's let's uh, hope that people uh, get out there and, and do their thing. Um, some David Wright news talk. I know he's been given a press conference today. We're going to get into that in uh, Do We Care, hinting that he's going to uh, play for the Mets next year, which should be good news. Super guy. So hope that works out for him. We'll have more with that, uh, of that with Tommy in just a bit. Polly, I know you remember fondly the uh, Big East uh, championship run that Syracuse had, 96 to 98. So many good players on those teams. And we'll see some of them back. Donovan McNabb is scheduled to be back uh, at the game on Saturday. Keith Bullock, my understanding, will be back. Rob Conrad is back. Um, totally should have won a national championship with that talent. <laughs> now, you're, now you're uh stretching um, just being a fan yeah but um the uh that is what people remember you know i think when you when people think what's possible for syracuse and what are they judging now against well they're judging it against them which is a different era you know certainly the mid 90s and then before that the mid 80s when syracuse went undefeated and, and finished number four in the country um Different time, a little harder to repeat that than I think people uh, give it credit. But that period of time, the mid-90s is what I'm talking about, in my opinion, is 
attainable again. Where you know, are you going to be legitimately a national title contender on a regular basis? I, I think that's far fetched in the uh, ACC Atlantic Division. But can you occasionally knock off Clemson and Florida State? Absolutely. Syracuse wins on Saturday. What more are you going to say they beat Clemson one year and Florida State the next? That's not going to be something to regularly uh, get used to. ACC teams that have been in the conference for a long time aren't regularly beating Clemson and Florida State in uh, back-to-back seasons. Uh, Being ranked, having pros, that stretch of two and three years is what we refer to now really as the modern, you know, that's, that was as good as it got, you know, in, in modern time, late eighties into early nineties, uh, certainly that period of the mid nineties. Then what followed was this ripple effect of those players in the NFL. There's 20 draft picks on those three teams. There's three pro bowlers, Donovan McNabb, Donovan Darius was a great player. Keith Bullock was a great player. Orlando Mare, who actually finished his career just prior, he'll be back as part of this group, but he didn't play on the 96, 7, and 8 Syracuse teams. He was in the pros at that time, had a very long NFL career. There was a time right in there in the early 2000s when you add Dwight Freeney to the mix, et cetera. You could claim that Syracuse, even when you go to coaching and Tom Coughlin and management, the Jerry Angelos or whatever, there was somebody with Syracuse ties that might have been the best at their position at every position. You know, would have made a heck of a team picture uh, from McNabb to Marvin Harrison, et cetera. So uh, that was... An amazing run. Split the championship the one year. Able to uh, eke it out ahead of Miami the, the 97 and 98 seasons. I'm going to tie this 97 and 98 seasons into this year's team. When you get, and I know you said it's still Florida State. They still got Florida State players. But what those teams did, 97, 98, is they took advantage of the time when Miami was down mm-hmm. and they won the games. And they, you know, Virginia Tech was down. They beat those teams. Because people will may not remember this, but Miami and Virginia Tech were the equivalent, basically, of Florida State and Clemson back yes. then. And then, then Syracuse got the opportunities to beat them, and they did. And hopefully they can this year's team can do the same thing, because yes. you're not going to get weak Florida State teams that often. Right, right. No, that's a good, uh, good way of looking at it. And a lot of this is cyclical with the broad strokes of, you know what, Alabama, USC, Michigan, for the most part, are always up there. And uh, if you look at the the top 25 at you know any cross section in college football history you're more or less going to find the same teams but for many others you're riding through a bit of a cycle and when a team has a dip as Miami did based on uh, NCAA infractions and probation at that time Syracuse was there to capitalize the 96 team and that's the yep. uh, that's the exception to the rule 96 team won despite Virginia Tech in Miami both being really good <laughs> that year because yeah. it was 13 14. Well, Syracuse beat yeah. a, a ranked Miami team early in 96. I'm sorry, a ranked uh, Virginia Tech team early in 96. Then in the last game of the regular season, with both teams ranked, the uh, Orange actually were ranked higher than Miami and lost uh, a close one in the Dome 38 31. Following season, Syracuse had a very talented roster. People will remember the famous Ron Dane game at uh, Giant Stadium. Ron Dane would go on to the Heisman Trophy that year, but uh, was shut down by Syracuse in the first one. The Orange won it uh, 34 to nothing, but then the disappointing late fumble and an overtime loss to uh, NC State, the loss at Oklahoma, loss at Virginia Tech, and now a team that started the season ranked in preseason top 20 was 1-3. Uh, and three. From there, they caught fire. Tulane, East Carolina, at Rutgers, Temple, 
overmatched uh, those opponents. In fact, talking about Syracuse is six in the country. This year's team right now is six in the country in points per game by putting up fifty-five and then sixty-two in back-to-back weeks. You got to go back to this period to find the last time that Syracuse regularly just completely crushed teams. That ninety-seven team in the middle of the year beat East Carolina fifty-six nothing. Won at Rutgers fifty to three. Beat Temple in the Dome sixty to seven. Temple was always like the parents' weekend game, you know, just a complete annihilation, and you sat there with your parents. Then uh, beat West Virginia at home, beat BC at home, won at Pittsburgh, and then uh, won by 20 at Miami before going on to uh, lose to Michael Bishop in Kansas State in the Fiesta Bowl, BCS caliber bowl game. And, and the flip side of what uh, Syracuse did back then to now is there's no Temples and Rutgers on the schedules right. anymore. So. Not in conference, yeah. You know, and the the floor of the ACC is much stronger than the floor of the the Big East ever was, and you're not getting those those uh, easy wins picked off. There was a time where Syracuse was that team for a minute, where uh, you know you're going a couple of years without winning a, a conference game, but then. Uh, Bouncing back, I think people most fondly in this group will remember the 66-13 win over Miami that capped that 98 season and then on to the Orange Bowl. So those were heady times, and those guys have gone on to great things. Keith Bullock had a great NFL career. Mark Banowitz has headed up a uh, financial uh, money management investment firm. He and Rob Conrad are business partners, and they have done exceptionally well. People are familiar with uh, what uh, Donovan McNabb has done, Donovan Darius we see from time to time. Darius had a tremendous NFL career with the Jaguars, was as good a player at his position of safety as there was in the league, pro bowler, hard hitter. I uh, wonder how he would fit in, in in today's game. Jason Poles, captain from that group, is uh, kind of ring the ringleader of the, this uh, sort of reunion tour of the guys uh, this weekend. Jason works with us. Uh, at the Orange Club. Now, if you have memories of those teams, feel free to chime in. 437-7644-4ESPN44 gets you on the show today. Not certain that we'll uh, do it, but we're hoping maybe to hook up with Rob Conrad uh, a bit later in the show, so we'll uh, try to leave some time for that. Rob was the uh, captain on the 98 team and uh, the last 44 and uh, went on to... uh, the Miami Dolphins in the National Football League. They don't build them quite like that anymore. A guy, incredible uh, size and strength and speed. There were a lot of and, pros on this team. Yeah, really like were. Even Kyle Tabucky Johnson Jones. went to pros. Yep. He played in Denver for a while. Yep. Quentin Spotwood returned kicks. And- Kyle Jones is, uh, or Kevin Johnson is what I was thinking. It was Kevin Johnson's uh, son is on the team now, and so he's back from time to time. And so uh, a good weekend for those guys to celebrate, we mentioned Rob Long will be uh, honored with the uh, Zunick Award tomorrow, kind of an independent uh, deal from that, from the uh, football club. Zunick's, you may remember that story, and you'll hear it at the game on Saturday. The Mike and Judy Zunick. Mike played on the team, and Judy was his uh, girlfriend, then wife. And she was, uh, I think, cheerleader here. He was uh, on the team, and as after their college careers now they're married and they were on that early 90s plane that crashed in Iowa and when the plane was having difficulty they volunteered into exit row seats to 
help with it. They died. People who were went into their original seats survived. And uh, just an incredibly tragic story, but one of uh, selflessness and service and, and uh, an award has been honored, has been given away uh, for a number of years now in their memory to people like Rob Long, who have dealt with some adversity. Rob, you'll remember, had a brain tumor cancer diagnosis uh, shortly after his uh, college career wrapped up uh, in the bowl game and uh, dealt with it head on and has not only come out the other side cancer free, but has dedicated his life to the awareness and fighting rare diseases and works with the current team on that uplifting athletes program to raise money for research and uh, has just done great things and represents the the program uh, in the best way possible. Rob, uh, I believe is, I want to say he's married now. If not, he's engaged and uh, looking forward to catching up with him tomorrow night. So uh, lots of good things happening. And that's even before you get to kickoff. Hope people get there to the game and do the quad thing. And I want to hear more reports now that it's a, a major conference opponent that's going to bring in some of their own fans and, and can't wait to hear and see what it's like out there. Our broadcast coverage will begin at 9 a.m. Adam Terry will be with uh, Gomez and Lisa down at the Sheridan. Our IMG Sports Network coverage will have some of these 96 to 98 guys on it with Brian and Julian and Adam Terry out on the quad. And then we'll have the show from the booth with the coaches and all that good stuff up until noon. Guys doing the show at the Shaughnessy's and whatever. So there's uh, no shortage of programming on Saturday morning and of opportunities for you to uh, get into the revelry as we roll along. For us, we'll do Do We Care when we come back in the booth, rolling along on a beautiful Thursday in downtown Syracuse on ESPN Radio. Do we care? Interesting. I doubt it. No, wait. The other thing. Tedious. But we will do this segment anyway. Don't care anymore. Don't care no more. CNS grad Brianna Stewart has added to her long list of basketball accomplishments. Last night, she won the WNBA Finals for the Seattle Storm, including the Finals MVP to go along with the MVP of the WNBA this season. So a great season for local Brianna Stewart. Yeah, she's the Midas touch of uh, women's basketball. She's incredible. Uh, best player on the planet, probably. The only, thing, the only thing we would even say probably is the players that are a little more established or have just done it longer, the Sue Birds, the Elena Deladon, whatever. They're just a little bit older and further down the road. But it's not even 25 yet, has won everything in sight, and will continue to. And uh, it's pretty awesome to call her one of ours from Central New York. Better than Rebecca Lobo, man? <laughs> so, Sorry, I was just the inside joke. <laughs> no. She is better than Rebecca Lobo. All right. Mets... Not, today's not the day to push my butt. <laughs> Came in in a beautiful mood and you ruined it. Go Come on, Paulie. All right. Mets third baseman and, and captain for, what, the last five to ten years, David Wright, has the Mets have activated him for September 25th, their last six games of the year at home. He will get the start at third base on September 29th, they say, and he has said that he expects to retire at the end of the season. So a... Good career oh, that, for David I thought Wright. I, got that, I thought I saw an alert that said that he would was likely to play next season. So I mean, right, that, no. that's my fault for you're probably reading too quickly while we're on the. Vince, the so this is it. So he's going to play a handful of games, and that's it. Well, that, that changes it. my tune on that. Well, that's too bad. He's an awesome dude. Met, uh, yeah, Mets great. David Wright plans to retire after one last game. Okay, that's sad. That that's sad. Um, obviously, this has been 
in the works. He's had the spinal stenosis and um, has just not been able to overcome it. You know, even the the various attempts at rehab and whatever have have not worked for him. And uh, I hope he can at least play in the game, get a hit or something. But but maybe he's not uh, well enough to do that. Uh, in two thousand four. I, long story short, I did the games of the, for the Binghamton Mets, and David Wright was our third baseman, and just couldn't be a better guy, better teammate. Uh, absolutely, what you're looking for to be the captain of a major league team, and in that type of market, he's done everything right from a community perspective, from a uh, leading the team perspective. He was great. His dad's a cop. He was great with his family, and uh, I can remember the day that he got promoted from Double A AA to Triple A. He's out on the field playing catch with his younger brothers uh, because the game uh, was in Bowie, Maryland, which uh, wasn't too far from their home down in uh, Norfolk, Chesapeake, uh, Virginia way. And, and so that's kind of, uh, that's kind of sad because he's, um, he's a guy you'd like to see play, but can understand why uh, just hasn't worked out for him with the, the back stuff of late. And we, we wish him well, he'll be successful in whatever he pursues here. Mets are undergoing changes. Obviously we'll see them in Syracuse next year with their triple A team and the ownership, their longtime PR man, Jay Horowitz has been moved to a different position of kind of alumni relations, and uh, he and David were close, and and uh, so that's uh, that's a shame for David, but uh, happy for him, and and uh, hope he heads off into the sunset and does what he wants to do. He uh, conceded at his press conference that doctors told him that his condition is not likely to improve. He just wants to play in front of his daughters one last. Okay, that's one cool. for the first time ever. So that's. It's kind of sad. Do you believe the Mets could just be doing this to sell tickets for their last homestand? They're so out of what, the playoffs. I mean, yeah. uh, so what if they are? You yeah. know, no, no, you know, because I think David Wright wants to. I what, what Paulie just said. Yeah. I, he wants to, and I, I apologize for kind of. I shot from the hip before. I quickly on my phone. I thought I saw an alert saying that he was going to play in 2019. It obviously must have said that he was not going to play in 2019. First of all. These are businesses, by the way. And, and whatever you're going to say ahead of, are they doing this just to sell tickets? They're allowed to do that. Sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? Now you can look sideways at them uh, for doing it. And in this case, no, I don't think so. But even if they were, it's for the fans to, you know, they yeah, ought the to sell out that game. Fans yeah. ought to come back and love David Wright because he's been the best Met, you know, for a, a long period of time here in terms of the way he represents uh, the team. So, and he was their best player for an awfully long time. So, so what if they are? Yeah, that September 29th game should be something to watch even for non-Mets fans really because David Wright is I mean he was he was nicknamed Captain America at one point because he was the captain of the USA World mm-hmm. Baseball Classic mm-hmm. so he he's not just a Mets player he's a big player for baseball are you a Mets fan no I'm a no. Yankees fan no. I'd still probably watch it look at that yeah I thought you were second up to the Mets no no <laughs> uh, Sean McVay the head coach of the Los Angeles Rams can memorize basically a you tell him a play, he'll know what he ran that play and what the outcome of that play was. We actually have audio of, of this of this interview. I, I don't think this is... Week 12, Saints at Rams. For coaches. 429 in the second quarter. To second this degree and seven on the Saints 7. I've seen him do this a couple what times now. Oh, Josh Reynolds touchdown off schedule play versus three-man rush. You're absolutely are right. Are you kidding me? You're unbelievable. Like now computer. we are going to go to... This is Sean McVay's time in Washington. Oh, no. So we're bringing like it. it back to 2015 Week 7. Bucks at Skins. Yep. Second and seven on the Tampa Bay 24. 58 seconds left in the fourth quarter. Jamison Crowder wheel route down the right sideline. 
Jamison Crowder, we were out down the right sideline, set up the first down, and then how did that drive end? Jordan Reed touchdown and a four by one individual ISO slant. And what meme was that game? You like that. <laughs> we talked about that uh, earlier in the week. I, I've seen him do this. He, he did the same shtick on an HBO Real Sports uh, profile of him uh, last month or this month. To that extent, it absolutely is unique. Now, football coaches, I don't think people understand how much film they watch and how much they might see the same. He might have watched those plays 20, 30 times over and over to watch every aspect that every, you know, he's grading it for every player, et cetera. Plus, he knew he's the one that made the call in the first place. And, uh, you know, we see the outcomes of the calls. They're the one that put in the work and the decision making that led to uh, each of those calls. And I, I think it's not terribly unique to have great recall of that. It is to have it at this level of detail and of the volume because there's obviously been thousands of plays that he's been associated with in his career. Well, you and I have been lucky to be sitting around when Coach Beheim will randomly talk basketball, and he remembers plays from when he was a player. Like, like right. He remembers who the opponent was, how many points certain players scored. Yeah, and and he, I couldn't do that with any team yeah. games last year. And no, it's kind of right. crazy. Yeah, well, again, he lived it, and it, it obviously it means more to these guys, and it's their life, and they go over it and over it and over it, and they lose sleep over it, and and uh, you know, it's funny because I think I have a fairly decent memory until it comes to some of that type of stuff. I cannot go absolutely like even through last year's game or last year's games and say with a little bit of you know refreshing, I might be able to to do some, but to say that you know battle had extra points in this game or even what place he had a great game versus a not-so-great game or whatever, where, where Beheim can come right down to within a point. He's not always spot-on, but he's pretty darn close. He'll, I, I had 17 points, and Dave Bing had 30, and uh, we were up six with three minutes to go, and we lost this, and he's, he's on the button, and these are games that happened 50 years ago. There's very few games that I remember like vividly. Like I could yeah. go back and remember. Like I remember the Nash. I remember the the Pitt Mc, uh, Jeremy McNeil free throw game. I don't know why that one sticks in from 2003, mm-hmm. but but other than that, they're they're hard to remember for me. I feel like there's so was well, such of a them. volume of information, and you're replacing the last game with the next game uh, on such a regular basis. So. Uh, McVeigh obviously he's got a lot going for him. The guy's a super bright guy, young guy, and uh, the sky is the limit for the head coach of the Rams. They also have a loaded team this year. All right, Tommy, thank you. No problem. That's a do we care? Back do you remember these broadcasts? To... Like you don't remember what we talked about yesterday? <laughs> what were we talking about? Segment. I remember one? that more than I remember the games. Oh really? Wow. Yeah, I mean, I remember, you know, and I can remember like we we're talking about Purdue. Yeah. I needed the box score to refresh me on a couple of things, but I. That that's a bad example of that particular trip, but there's I could name the restaurants we went to in a lot of these or not necessarily name, but I could say here's what you know, I could give you some characteristics of it or where we were or what we ate or because that you experienced that, you know. Uh the others you watched happen, that's that's a little bit of a different type of uh memory, I think. We should have a memory expert call us and tell us exactly how that works. When you live it, you learn it a little bit. Uh, better, Applebee's has the best steaks. Yes, it does. That was I a could... Rutgers game. <laughs> okay, I wouldn't have known. You know, I want to know where you can get a good steak. I mean, I know the author of that quote. I, I, uh, I don't remember exactly the origin of when it was said for the first time. Fidelis Io, I remember that. Yeah, huh? that, would that was be... at a TGI Fridays, or was it a Ruby Tuesdays in Connecticut? That was a Ruby Tuesdays in yeah, Connecticut. She was the employee of the month. <laughs> We used to. That was national championship year. Yeah, we used to uh, have the disclaimer. Now it's pre-produced to go into uh, radio geek talk. But the, 
We used to have to read. This broadcast cannot be re- uh, reused without the express written consent of, and my shtick for a couple of years was to throw in some random name, and usually it was a 1980s baseball player. Or, or, the, or, or the opponent's most obscure player, like say so something like, like that. Like yeah. if you're Tate God, George. God Sham God. Yeah. But that uh, one particular time at Connecticut, I happened to catch the name. We, were, we had lunch, Polly, Mark Johnson, and myself at uh, at a Ruby Tuesdays in Big suburban uh, Hartford, Connecticut. It must be our budget wasn't too strong back then. And uh, they have a good salad bar, though. Yeah. And on the way out, they had all of the plaques for employees of the month. And I happened to catch an unusual name, Fidelis Io, E-Y-O, was his or her last name and. the that broadcast was not to be reused without the express written consent of Fidelis Io. And Fidelis lives in our hearts. Cecilio Guante was one of my favorite ones I in Pittsburgh. That's, that was a. I might have to look up Fidelis Io on LinkedIn and see, yeah, right, right. see what that what he or she is. Might, might be the regional manager of <laughs> Ruby Tuesdays throughout the Northeast Connecticut, uh, Connecticut based, but might be in charge of a hundred stores by now. I'm, he or she was on the fast track. Fidelis. Back to wrap up In the Booth in a moment on ESPN Radio. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. Back in the booth, just another minute or so. Polly has a uh, Mets programming announcement. Yes, Mets 325, first game of the doubleheader. ESPN AM 1200 is Brent Axe will have Coach Babers on. And then immediately following Brent, we will join Game 1 in progress on the FM, and Game 2 will be fully covered on the FM. And uh, Thursday Night Football will be on the AM after Coach Baber's show. That makes okay. sense. Justin Lustig, the uh, special teams coach on the Dino Baber show tonight at Press Room Pub. Expecting another big crowd there on a nice night. The Mets in baseball parlance yesterday was just wear it. Just just six-hour delay before the game even started. It was supposed to be a doubleheader. And they obviously played one game very late. Now they're trying to get in two at the end of a forgettable season. If the it, Mets and Marlins play 160 games, does it matter? No. Right? I, I think, thought you were going to say if they played 160 against each other, would anybody pay attention? <laughs> no, other than in, no. But like if they York. just said, "All right, these but, games are done." Uh, no, unless there's some convoluted connection to the playoff race that I'm not familiar with, but that's what will happen. They they would only have to make up if, for instance, if they weren't able to play today, uh, then those games would be scrapped unless they had some bearing on who was going to win the NL East or whatever, and at this point they are not going to. All right, back tomorrow at uh, 2 o'clock. We'll give away ducats to the FSU game. See you at Press Room tonight, ESPN Radio.